Open of Psalms tonight, chapter 95. One thing I enjoy about the book of Psalms, you know, you kind of never know what you're going to get from Psalm to Psalm. Some Psalms are very peaceful and, uh, you know, like Psalms 23 that just kind of give you a relaxed feeling. Some are very jubilant and joyful and kind of very uplifting, get you excited. Some are pretty mean, like last week's. You know, there's some that talks about breaking teeth and hating people and stuff like that. You know, you never really know what you're going to get. And then you have some that are prophetic. You get you get a lot of prophecy in the book of Psalms, and then you also you know, and then you have some that just have some really good doctrine in there that are that are very profitable uh, when it comes to just uh, different Bible doctrines. And I think there's some really good things that we're going to see in this Psalm about salvation. And so let's go ahead and start reading. Uh, let's go ahead and read the whole Psalm uh, before we get into this. Psalms 95, verse one. It says, O come, let us sing unto the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise unto the, uh, to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before His presence with thanksgiving and make a joyful noise unto Him with psalms. For the Lord is a great God and a great King above all gods. In His hand are the deep places of the earth. The strength of the hills is His also. The sea is His, and He made it, and His hands formed the dry land. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. For He is our God, and we are the people of His pasture, and the sheep of His hand. Today, if ye will hear His voice. Harden not your heart as in the provocation, and as in the day of temptation in the wilderness, when your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my work. Forty years long was I grieved with this generation, and said, It is the people that do err in their heart, and they have not known my ways, unto whom I swear in my wrath that they should not enter into my rest. And so what, I want to, uh, what I'm going to call this chapter tonight, or the title of this message is The Rock of Our Salvation. You'll see that in that first verse where it says, Come, let us sing unto the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise unto the rock of our salvation. One of the things that we're going to see in this chapter that I think is great is it shows how salvation has always been the same. Psalms 95, one of the things we're going to see in here is this is another example of something that refutes dispensational salvation. This chapter right here, I don't know how a person can read Psalms 95 and not or and, and still believe in dispensational salvation. You say, well, I don't really see much in there. I don't really see... Well, if you look close, you're going to see it. But what makes it really clear... What's well, going to prove that this refutes dispensational salvation, that I'm not just reading into how I interpret this chapter, is the fact that what we read at the end of the chapter, and we're going to get into this later, is quoted in the book of Hebrews when specifically talking about salvation. All right, The New Testament, it uses this psalm to explain some things about salvation, proving once again salvation has always been the same. Salvation has always been by grace through faith, and it's always been through faith in Jesus Christ and in the work of Jesus Christ. Okay, Now, did they know the name of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament? No, they did not. But did they know Jesus in the Old Testament? Absolutely. The Bible says it was Jesus that was with the church in the wilderness. And right here in verse 1, it says, Let us make a joyful noise unto the rock of our salvation. Why is it calling Jesus the rock of our salvation? What does that mean? You know what I mean? Okay, when, when something, many times in the Bible, when you see a rock mentioned, it's something that you, for example, there's the, man, the wise man who built his house on a rock. Why was that significant that he built his house on a rock? Because 
A rock is something that's stable. A rock is something that's not going to move. It's not going to shift. And if when the storms come, if that house is built in the rock, the house will be able to withstand the storm. And when it comes to salvation, okay, most people's profession of salvation, or I don't, I'm not going to call it salvation, most people's profession of salvation, you could say, is on sinking sand. Why is that? Because when you ask them, hey, what are you trusting in to get you to heaven? They talk about their works, don't they? They'll, they'll talk about being, going to church, and they all think you can lose your salvation if they do something really bad. Why are they saying that? They're saying that because their hope is built on themselves. Their hope is built on shifting sand, kind of like the song The Solid Rock says. But our salvation, it's built on Jesus Christ. It's based on His works. So that means it's not going to move. It's not going to shift. And as long as we are on that solid rock, then we're not going anywhere. Okay? And when we got saved, we were put on that rock and we are not and we can't jump off it, we can't move off it. We are there and that rock, that rock is not going to move and that rock for sure without a doubt is Jesus Christ. And so it says, let us sing unto the Lord, let us make a joyful noise unto the rock of our salvation. Right before that mentions singing unto the Lord and it refers to them as the rock of their salvation, showing that they were trusting in him. He was the source of their salvation, the work of Jesus Christ. So when it talks about the rock of our salvation, it means we're trusting in Him and nothing else. That rock it cannot be moved. Uh, look at verse 2. It says, Let us come before His presence with thanksgiving and make a joyful noise unto Him with psalms. For the Lord is a great God and a great King above all gods. So we see here, he mentions how we ought to come before His presence with thanksgiving. We ought to make a joyful noise unto Him with psalms. It specifically mentions singing to Him. Singing to the Lord. And just kind of an interesting thing, you know, I, I, or I personally believe it is completely appropriate, I believe it's completely biblical for us to sing songs about salvation in church. And is that not exactly what we do? Okay, and notice what it says about these songs, alright? says, let's come before His presence with thanksgiving and make a joyful noise unto Him with songs. You know, most songs about salvation are usually joyful sounding songs, aren't they? We've got some songs that we sing here that are very soft and you're kind of meditating songs, a song of reflection. But songs like Saved, Saved, you know, Saved by His power divine, Saved, that's a very exciting song. Songs like Since I Have Been Redeemed. Most of the songs that we sing in our hymn book about salvation or if they have the word saved in the title, those are usually very uplifting songs. They are very joyful songs. Those songs, uh, you know, there, now there are some churches you can go to, they figured out how to make every song miserable. You know, they slow every song way down. But that's not how we sing it here. The pianos play loud. They play fast. We sing loud. We sing fast. It's very joyful. We're singing about salvation. And those song, songs, they mention too, Jesus Christ. They all credit Jesus Christ. And the songs about our salvation should be songs about Jesus. Okay? They, and, no, and that's why we sing songs like, Jesus saves. Shout salvation, full and free. You know, and many of our songs about salvation, they credit Jesus. You know, on Christ the solid rock I stand, on other ground is singing sand. You know, my hope is built on nothing less. 
than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. What's that song? That song is saying, man, our, the hope of our salvation is in Jesus Christ. Those are the kind of songs that we ought to be singing about. Those are the kind of songs that ought to get us excited. Those ought to be the songs that get us running the aisles. Okay? And you know what? I like, one thing I like to do, I like to watch camp meeting videos. I, I enjoy watching camp meeting videos, watching people run around and make fools of themselves. Watching guys swing from the rafters and do all that kind of stuff. And you know what? One, one thing I'm noticing, I'm thinking about putting a video montage together of it. If you go on YouTube, I'm, I'm sure there's probably an exception out there somewhere, alright? But all the songs, all the videos I'm finding where the people are running laps, all these songs, they are not about, these are not songs that are glorifying Jesus Christ and talking about the work of Jesus Christ. It's songs talking about their changed life. And, and I do, I watch these because I, I want to know, is that really the Spirit? You know, when the guy's swinging from the rafters, you know, is that is that really... I, I, there's a video, a guy is in some meeting and the guy jumps up and he's swinging from the rafters. Not lying. And I'm watching that and I'm thinking, you know, is, is this of God, you know? And, I'm li- and so I'm listening to the song and it's just another song about the changed life. And I, I'm all for the changed life and talking about the changed life and singing songs about the changed life. But you know what? When people are running the aisles over songs about a changed life, and then in that same meeting, a preacher gets up and tells people if they haven't repented of their sins, they're not saved. You know That tells me these people think the changed life is proof of salvation. You know, Shouldn't we be getting a little more excited and running the aisles in a song about the blood of Jesus Christ since that's where our justification is? But that's not usually where you see it. You usually see it when it's a song about a changed life. You say, well, some of those songs mention the blood of Jesus. Yes, but listen to all the words of those songs. Somewhere in that song, it's going to be, they're going to be bragging about their changed life. And you know, the truth is, the songs about salvation, these songs should be about Jesus Christ. They should be about Him and what He did and not about our crummy changed life that we have. It ought to be about Him because our salvation is in the work of Jesus Christ and not our own works, alright? If you want to sing a song about a changed life or preach a message about changed lives, that's fine, but don't make that a salvation thing. Because that is not what gets you saved, and that is not what proves you're saved. Okay? And if, you know, if changing lives saves people, then the biggest loser gets people saved. They're always changing people's lives, you know? And, you know, it's just, it's so stupid. But anyway, but, uh, songs about salvation should be songs of thanksgiving. It says, let us come before His presence with thanksgiving. Okay? You know, we sing songs like, you know, and can it be? Okay? What do they say in that song? Amazing love. How can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? You know, it doesn't make sense. But you know what? I'm thankful for it. I'm thankful that He did it. Other songs like, how can it be? That thou would love a soul like me? Oh, how can it be? You know, the camp meeting people, they're not going to sing those songs. You know, the way they, their changed life was so great, well, no wonder God saved you. You know, God knew what you were going to turn into, and God thought, man, what a deal I'm going to be getting when I get this guy. You know, it's just disgusting. You know, we sing songs like, Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. Thank you, Lord, for making me whole. Thank you, Lord, for giving to me thy great salvation. 
so rich and free. Songs about salvation, they should reference the greatness of God. We see here it mentions, For the Lord is a great God and a great King above all gods. So, and don't those songs, are songs do that? Songs like Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Okay? It was no small thing. Alright? The grace of God that saves us is no small thing. It is an amazing thing. Wonderful grace of Jesus is another song we sing. Greater than all my sin. How can my tongue describe it? Where shall its praise begin? So, it's pretty clear. I, songs in our hymn books are pretty biblical as psalms, aren't they? They line right up with it perfectly. The songs about our salvation should do all the things that are mentioned here when it's talking about singing about our salvation and singing to the Lord and singing about the rock of our salvation. Songs about salvation should also mention that Jesus is the only way. Okay, It's because the Lord our God is a great God and a great King above all gods. Okay, Superior to all other gods. Greater than all other gods. All other gods are false. All other gods are not able to save. Jesus Christ is the only way to save. And that's why we sing songs like nothing but the blood of Jesus. Because He's the only way. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. We sing songs like at Calvary. You know, at the cross. What Jesus did on the cross is the only thing that will save anybody. And we are testifying of these things when we sing these songs. And that's why it's important that our songs are biblical, that our songs are theologically accurate. Because, once again, people often forget things that were preached. People often forget the Scriptures, but those songs, they stick in your head, don't they? Those songs, they get in your heart. And there's a lot of bad doctrine that's out there in people's head today. And a lot of that bad doctrine they picked up from songs. Those songs succeeded in getting into the hearts and minds of people and it messes them up in their doctrine. Many people today, they don't mind hearing a preacher get up and tell somebody you have to repent of your sins in order to be saved because for years they've been singing victory in Jesus where it says that I repented of my sins and won the victory. You know, where'd that come from? You know, why are they, why are they comfortable hearing a preacher tell them that? They're comfortable with it because they've been, they just sang about it right before service. I mean, good night. Some churches sing victory in Jesus literally every week. You know, what's the other one we all, we keep forgetting to change the words in? So the old account was settled? I think it was that one. It talks about, uh, oh yeah, oh, sinners seek the Lord, repent of all your sins, for thus he hath commanded for you to enter in. Some hymn books don't have it that way. Ours does. Some hymn books say, oh sinner, trust the Lord, be cleansed of all your sins, for thus he hath provided for you to enter in. That's biblical. Ours, you know, I don't know, it might have been originally written that way. Some of our, in our hymn book, okay, and I like our hymn books, a lot of good songs in there, but in our hymn book, a lot of the songs that, um, the way they were originally written, usually the changes they make are for the worst. For example, on some of the songs about the return of Christ, they've changed the words to put eminency in there. And that aggravates me. And I always call them an NIV songbook because they changed the word to the songs. So as far as the old account was settled, I don't know what the original words are. I should look that up and see if we're, our songbook NIV'd that one too. But uh, either way, it should be the other one, not the repent of all your sins. But the thing is, you, see, you know, that, that's bad. 
And many people today are comfortable hearing that because it's already in their heart. And some camp meeting preacher can get up there and tell people they got to repent of their sins in order to be saved. And people are going to go right along with it even though he won't open one Scripture where it tells you to do that, even though he won't even find the phrase repent of your sins in the Bible, what he'll have to do is he'll have to go to the Old Testament and see a verse where God told them they needed to repent or turn from their sins in order to be saved, not understanding that it's talking about being saved from an army or being saved from physical destruction has nothing to do with soul salvation. But people, it goes right over their head they're fooled by it all the time. And then these stupid camp meeting preachers, they get up there and they tell them all this junk. And man, I didn't repent of my sins. You know, you know, some woman's there. She sassed her husband the day before. And the preacher, you know, and I heard a preacher one time say that, you know, some of you women, you're mean to your husbands. You know, and you say you're saved because you prayed a prayer when you were five years old. There's something wrong with that. Let me tell you something. If salvation makes it where you're never going to sash your husband, my wife needs to get saved. All right, you know, I'm sorry. It's that's this that's foolishness. That's that's foolishness to preach that kind of junk. But that same preacher that got that preached that, he gets done, and some lady comes up the altar. You can tell it's one of the church ladies, you know, and she went to go get saved again. You see that all the time. People getting saved again and again and again. Preacher's kids. They grew up in a preacher's home. They grew up in church their whole life. And like in their 20s. And then they go forward and they get saved. And it's like, really? You didn't, you didn't believe in Christ before? You never, you never trusted in Him for your salvation? You were trusting in your works? But no. What, what do they usually do when they give their testimony? I was being fake. Oh, really? So salvation, it's how we... You know, act. Salvation is us living like a Christian, looking like a Christian, acting like a Christian. You were being fake. You were just pretending you were saved. You know, so you were, you know, really. I mean, I, I thought our works didn't have anything to do with our salvation. You know, so you're telling me you didn't believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. You're saying you weren't saved because you were being fake. Sounds like you just need to get right with God for being backslidden. You need to get right with God for being two-faced. You know, and uh, I'm ranting about this enough, but you know, it, it's just, it's clear where people's faith is today, and it's not their rock, the rock of their salvation is not Jesus Christ. It's themselves. You know what? That makes me sick, and I really hate when I hear stupid songs about it, and especially when I see a bunch of idiotic, lazy, pathetic camp meeting people running laps. You know, and i got to move on. Let's go to verse 3. I'm, I'm, I'm getting mad. All right, I'm getting mad. All right. Thinking about bringing that camp meeting documentary back that I shelved. i still got some of the info on there. But anyway, verse, so verse 4 says, In His hand are the deep places of the earth. The strength of the hills is His also. The sea is His, and He made it. And His hands formed the dry land. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. See, songs about God, they often cause us to reflect on His greatness. And a good song that speaks great truth, it ought to cause us to want to kneel down before the Lord our Maker. Okay, you know, and we do some of the songs we sing, songs like How Great Thou Art. Songs like I Sing the Mighty Power of God. You know, these things, if we would actually take the time to reflect on them and think about them, 
If we would actually meditate on these things, it ought to drive us to our knees. When I consider the work of thy hands, the sun, moon, and stars above, I'm not quoting Bible, I'm quoting a song. What is man that thou thinkest of him who is so unworthy of love? O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is thy name. When we go outside and we see the stars at night, it ought to cause us to want to go to our knees. That the God who spoke those things into existence loves me. He lives inside of me. That ought to be that ought to be overwhelming. That ought to be humbling. And these are these are great truths, and we often sing about these things. And you know, and when it comes to, I mean, even the the songs about salvation. Okay, let me tell you something. If these camp meeting people were really full of the Holy Spirit, I don't think they would be running around like chickens with their heads cut off when they're singing about salvation. You know what I think they would really be doing is they'd be on their knees. That's what I, if they were really filled with the Spirit, I think that's what they would do. And then, if they were still filled with the Spirit, after they got off of their knees, say, you know what, since I've been saved, I've been commanded to spread this message because just as easily as I got it, somebody out there could get it. And they'd go out there and they knock some doors. But you know what, you show me the camp meeting where they do any soul winning. And I'll, I'll eat a piece of cheese. You, know, you, show, you show me a camp meeting. Where they do that, and I will, I'll, I'll do that. Where they actually have real soul winning, where they preach doctrine right, where they preach real salvation. I'm not talking about you know, these camp, you know, some of these people, they do it for a show. They don't believe it. Often you hear them scoff at these things at the camp meetings. Because that's where, that, I'm telling you, a lot of false doctrine is born in camp meetings. Some idiot got filled with emotion and just started running his mouth. And. Man, it got the altars flooded. It had people running. It obviously must be true. Uh, nope, sorry, it's not in the Bible. Well, then how are we going to explain why all those people were running around like maniacs and you know, why the Holy Spirit moved? No, you're going to have to admit. You're going to have to admit the Holy Spirit had nothing to do with that. That y'all are just a bunch of weirdos looking for a good time and you have a lot of fun acting like maniacs. That's what you, that, that's what you, you would come to the conclusion to if you actually study your Bible. But we should, we should be glorifying God. Give him the credit for these things. Not glorifying God. Not giving Him the praise He deserved. It can cause us to fall in some dark places. In Romans, it talks... Uh, well, go and turn to Romans 1. Otherwise, I won't quote this right. Verse 25 says, "...who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshipped and served the creature more than the Creator who is blessed forever." Amen. "...for this cause God gave them up to vile affections for even their women to change the natural use into that which is against nature." Okay, God gave them up to the vile affections. Why? Because they changed the truth of God into a lie. They worshipped the creature more than the Creator. And think about this. When it comes to salvation, okay, we all know that our salvation it comes from Jesus Christ. He did every bit of it. All we did was accepted a free gift by faith. That's it. That's all we did. And do you realize for somebody to get up and to credit their salvation off their works, to praise the creature more than the Creator, I'm telling you, that's some wicked stuff right there. And you know, it's one thing, and there's a lot of people that do this, that they've just been deceived by false religions. Okay, They've been deceived by false religions, and we see these people saved all the time when we show them the truth. But let me tell you something about these preachers that preach that junk. You've got to be a reprobate to preach that kind of junk. I'm telling you right now, I mean, hell isn't hot enough 
for a preacher that would teach people that their salvation is based on their performance, on their works. They are leading people to hell with that. And I'm telling you, I don't believe that God's going to, you know, God's going to let them get away with that. I do not believe that preachers who preach that kind of junk are, are going to go to heaven. Especially when they're sending everybody to hell with their false gospel and their false message. That's wicked. And so, you know, the, you know, we use Romans too, you know, uh, talking about, you know, the, the homosexual crowd and all that, but, you know, not, the reason the LGBT crowd does the things that they do, it's because of the fact, you know, they reject the one who made nature. Think about that. They, you know, it's God that made male and female. It's God that made things, you know, made the way they're supposed to be. They change the truth of God into a lie. Therefore, God gives them over to that vile affection to all those filthy, disgusting things. And, and when it comes to our salvation, Jesus Christ is the source of that salvation. Jesus Christ did the work of that salvation. Our justification is in the blood of Jesus Christ. And when preachers get up and they change that into something else, and they teach a works-based salvation, I'm t- it's just it's beyond wicked. And you know what? I have every right to get mad at these people. And I have every right to make fun of them. I got, you know, I got somebody mad at me the other day because I was making fun of one of these heretics and stuff. I was like, I'm thinking, what about Elijah? Remember Elijah with the prophets of Baal? Elijah, he made fun of those people. He made fun of them. He made fun of their God. And you know, and this, and I said something about that. And they were like, yes, but this is, you know, this is another fundamental Baptist preacher. That makes it even worse. At least the prophets of Baal admitted they were prophets of Baal. But we got people today who are passing themselves off as ministers of Christ when they're teaching the doctrines of Baal. And I think I have even more right to make fun of people like that, and I'm going to continue to do it. I don't, you know, I, I think it's fine. I don't want to have a bad attitude all the time. And with all the wickedness that's out there, I just have a really bad attitude. But you know, it's like I got to rebuke it somehow. So I, I just find a way to make it fun. You know, I'm going to have fun with it. And people are just going to have to get over that. But I, I don't like it at all. But look at verse 7. All right, this, I want to spend some time on this. is really important. This is where we're going to uh, go into the New Testament here in just a minute. But um, verse 7 says, For He is our God, and we are the people of His pasture, and the sheep of His hand, today if ye will hear His voice. Harden not your heart, as in the provocation, and as in the day of temptation in the wilderness, when your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my work. Forty years long was I grieved with this generation, and said, It is a people that do err in their hearts, and they have not known my ways, unto whom I swear in my wrath, that they should not enter into my rest. Now, it's so important we get this. This is another one of the things that proves dispensational salvation is an absolute fraud. This is another passage that proves that salvation was not of works even in the Old Testament. And so let's look at this. So notice what he says. Harden not your hearts in the provocation. Well, first let's go to Hebrews chapter 3 and let's see where this psalm is quoted in Hebrews chapter 3. Now, I preached on this a while back when we were in Hebrews, but it needs to get mentioned again because now we're preaching in Psalms. Uh, that was uh, this psalm that was quoted in Hebrews. It says in verse 7, it says, Wherefore, as the Holy Ghost saith, Today, if ye will hear His voice, 
Harden not your hearts as in the provocation in the day of temptation in the wilderness when your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my works forty years. Wherefore, I was grieved with that generation and said they do always err in their heart and they have not known my ways. So I swear in my wrath that they shall not enter into my rest. Take heed thereto, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. You'll see this? He's in Hebrews, in the New Testament, he's warning them, he's quoting Psalms in the Old Testament, he's bringing up the provocation. We're going to look at that here in a little bit. But he's saying, don't make the same mistake they did and have a heart of disobedience, no, of unbelief. Okay? It says, and departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we are made partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast in the end. While it is said today, if you will hear His voice, harden not your hearts as in the provocation. For some, when they had heard, did provoke, howbeit not all that came out of Egypt by Moses, but with whom He was grieved forty years. Was it not with them that had sinned, whose carcasses fell in the wilderness? And to whom swear he that they should not enter into his rest, but to them that believed not. So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. Right here, the Bible tells us the reason that generation that was in the wilderness did not get to go in the promised land, it was because of unbelief. Okay, And in Hebrews, and we went through a lot of this when we were going through Hebrews, I don't want to repeat it all, but they often will take one verse out of Hebrews in different chapters, and they, without looking at the context of everything, they'll try to prove you can lose your salvation and stuff like that. But notice what it says in verse. Um, lost my spot. Yes, verse sixteen. For some, when they had heard, did provoke. Howbeit, not all that came out of Egypt by Moses, but with them who he was grieved forty years. Was it not with them that had sinned? Y'all see that it was because they sinned. That's why they didn't get to go in. All right, because of sin. But here's the thing: What was that sin? Was it not doing enough works? Was it not fighting the fight over there in Jericho? No, it was unbelief. All right, and proof that this what God was the the sin that they did. It was just the sin of unbelief. Let's go back and look at the provocation in the wilderness. Go to Numbers chapter 14. What event was this? All right, Now, there were several things that they did to provoke God in the wilderness. But I think the, the official big one that they did is when the twelve spies went over and they spied out the land and the ten came back with the evil report. I believe that right there was the big one. You had two guys, you had the two saved men who did get to go in the promised land who said, hey, the Lord's given us the city. The Lord's given us the city. What does that mean? The Lord's going to do this for us. Isn't that what it is with our salvation? The Lord has given us salvation. He's going to do it for us. He already did the work for us. He's going to keep us saved. But then you got these other crowd, they're like, no, we can't do it. Trusting in themselves. Clearly, trusting in themselves. What did God want them to do? God wanted them to go cross that river. God wanted them to go into that land. And God wanted to do what He eventually did 40 years later. And who won the battle of Jericho? 
You know, the song says Joshua fit the battle of Jericho, but Joshua really didn't do any fighting, did he? Really, God did all the fighting. God made the walls come down. God defeated the enemy. God did it all. All they had to do was believe God. And it's the same thing with our salvation. God did it all for us. Jesus paid the price. All we have to do is believe. But they didn't do it. They didn't believe God. Look at Numbers chapter 14, verse 1. And all the congregation lifted up their voice and cried. And the people wept that night because they got that report from the ten spies. The bad ones. And it says, And all the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron and the whole congregation and said to them, Would God that we had died in the land of Egypt? Or would God we had died in this wilderness? And wherefore hath the Lord brought us into this land to fall by the sword that our wives and our children should be a prey? Were it not better for us to return into Egypt? You know, and this is, let me, this is a side note here. This is just a bonus. But you know why you see a lot of people today who grow up in church and they end up going to the world and rejecting the things of God? You know why? It's because of the fact that they were taught that salvation was somehow based on their performance. And all of a sudden, they got looking and they're like, you know what? I can't do this. I can't perform this. It's better in Egypt. It's better off just being like the world. I'm tired of beating my head against the wall, trying to be acceptable to God, trying to be good enough. I'd just rather go to Egypt and have fun being like the world. Not understanding that you don't have to beat your head against the wall to be acceptable. You just need to have faith and trust in Christ. But these people aren't getting that. Somewhere that message is being missed. They're not being taught that. And so they're constantly they're getting tired of their failed performance over and over again. They're getting tired of Pastor Pompous showing them how they failed when in their heart they know Pastor Pompous isn't good enough to be saved either. But yet he acts like he's saved. He acts like he doesn't care. He's like that one preacher too that tells him, you know, there's some of you, you come in on Sunday morning, we don't see again until something, Sunday, next week, Sunday morning, there's something wrong with you because they don't want to go to church three times a week. Well, you know what? If they were getting paid as much as you were pastor to be in church, they'd want to be in church three times a week. You know, these guys, they're, they're so phony. The kind of junk they're teaching. And they wonder why everybody's leaving that. They wonder why they're all abandoning that. You know what their people are doing? Their people have a wicked heart of unbelief and they're all saying, you know what, it's better to go back in Egypt. When what all they need to do, they don't need to just fight better. They don't need to just work harder. You know what they need to do? They just need to trust God. They just need to have faith in Christ to take care of them. That's what they need to do. Verse 4, And they said to one another, Let us make a captain let us return into Egypt. And Moses and Aaron fell on their face before all the assembly of the congregation of the children of Israel. And Joshua the son of Nun, and Caleb the son of Jephunneh, which uh, were of them that searched the land, rent their clothes, and they spake unto all the company of the children of Israel, saying, The land which we pass through to search it is an exceeding good land. If the Lord delight in us, then He will, uh, will bring us into this land and give it us a land which flows with milk and honey. Now see, if the Lord delight in us. What did they have to do to get the Lord to delight in them? Believe Him. That's it. They needed to believe Him. And He will give it us. Only rebel not ye against the Lord, neither fear ye the people of the land, for they are bred for us, their defense is departed from them, and the Lord is with us, fear them not. But all the congregation bade stone them with stones. And the glory of the Lord appeared in the tabernacle of the congregation before all the children of Israel. And the Lord said unto Moses, How long will this people provoke Me? That's where we get the provocation from. 
says, How long it be ere they, be ere they believe Me? For all the signs which I have showed among them, I will smite them with a pestilence and disinherit them and will make of thee a greater nation and mightier than they. And Moses said to the Lord, Then the Egyptians shall hear it, for thou broughtest up this people and thy might from among them. And they will tell to the inhabitants of the land, for they have heard that thou art that thou, Lord, art among this people, and that the Lord art seen face to face, and that thy cloud standeth over them, and that thou goest before them by daytime in a pillar of a cloud, and in a pillar of fire by night. So uh, then jump down to verse twenty three. Says, Surely they shall not see the land which I swear unto their fathers, neither shall any of them that provoked me see it. And what was it that provoked God? They didn't believe him. That made God mad. And you know what? It still makes God mad when we don't people don't believe the gospel. When they don't believe in the work of Jesus Christ. He that believeth not, the wrath of God abideth on him. Y'all see how serious that is. Listen, God hates all sin, alright? God hates all sin, but y'all understand that Jesus paid for the sins of the world? Those sins are paid for. God is able to overlook those things because they've been paid for. But what is it that cannot be overlooked? That's rejection of the free gift. Rejection of the Son of God. Rejection of Jesus Christ. That cannot be forgiven. You reject that, you are going to go to hell. People are going to go to hell. They're not going to go to hell because of any specific sin that's in the Bible because we've all sinned. They're going to go because they rejected Jesus Christ. That's why they're going to go to hell. So, uh, uh, turn over to Psalms 106. Psalms 106 also mentions provocation. So we see very clearly the problem that they had, what they did to provoke God was they did not believe Him. It says in verse 19 of Psalms 106, they made a calf in Horeb, and worship the molten image. Thus they changed their glory in the multitude of an ox that eateth grass. They forgot God their Savior, which had done great things in Egypt, wondrous works in the land of Ham, and terrible things by the Red Sea. Therefore he said that he would destroy them had not Moses had chosen stood before him in the breach to turn away his wrath lest he should destroy them. So we see God mention that again. And we read that story where Moses stood in there and he got God to withhold His hand against them. And we see that that's kind of a reminder of what Jesus did for us. But I'm telling you, we reject Jesus, there's, there's nothing we can do. All our other sins, every other sin that we've done, and Israel did a lot of sins. It mentions there them making the calf in Horeb. But do you all understand? Every sin that we've ever done, we have Jesus that's standing between us and God. But at the end of the day, if we will not believe Him, and that's it, if we do not believe Him, the wrath of God is still on us. And even though Moses stood there and God didn't destroy them all right then and there, we do see that those who did not believe did not get to go into the promised land. They, and they were not allowed to, what does it call it? It says it there in Psalms and it says in Hebrews, enter into His rest. Enter into His rest. That doesn't sound like work. It actually sounds like rest. And we talked a lot about that when we did Hebrews chapter 3 and 4. We entered into His rest. That's how we get saved. We cease from our labors 
and we enter into His rest. What are we doing? We're putting our faith and trust in the rock of our salvation. We're trusting in the work of Jesus Christ. And the problem with Israel, it was not their performance of the law, even though it was not very good, but it was their lack of faith. That was their problem. Their, you know, their performance of the law was actually an embarrassment. They did terrible. But they would have been okay if they had just had faith. If they had just, if they had just trusted God. And we see how just, that was their problem in the wilderness. Remember when God gave them the manna? Remember how God would have that manna out there every morning. And the manna only stayed good for one day. But on the sixth day, God said, gather double to save for the next day. Well, it's supposed to rot. But for some reason, it wouldn't rot on the Sabbath. And remember that one guy. That one guy who went out there and he tried to work on the Sabbath. He was going to provide for himself on the Sabbath. He didn't believe God. He didn't trust God. And what did God do? God killed him. God, God smote him. That was their problem when they were in the wilderness. They, just, they didn't believe God. It's not, it wasn't just their performance of the law. It was their lack of faith. We see Moses, David, I mean many of the greats of the Old Testament, they made massive mistakes. Their performance of the law was not very good at all. I mean, look at all the laws Solomon broke. But these were men of faith. And so they're in heaven. They, they made it. Even guys like Lot is referred to as just Lot in the New Testament. Why? Because as sorry of a fellow as he was, he was a man of faith. When he was at the camp meeting and they're singing the songs about the changed life, Lot's not going to be running around. Lot knows he, he, he knows he's not good enough. He knows he's in trouble. He's got too much stuff to be embarrassed about. But he did have faith in Christ and so he was okay. And so why is it? Why is it today that many people won't get saved right now? And it's simply because the rock that they're trusting in now, what is the rock for many Catholic people? It actually isn't just the works. Doctrinally, all right, you talk to a Catholic that's actually strong in their doctrine. What is the rock of the Catholic Church? Well, Peter, the first pope, you know, or the pope, the church. But their faith and trust is in the Catholic Church, all right. And I don't even need to refute that to you all. All right, y'all know that that y'all know that isn't it, but. For many people today, their rock, it's their church, their works, that's most people's. It's their works or another God. You know, there are some people that do worship false gods and things like that. But at the end of the day, the reason they're not getting saved is because they don't believe God. They scoff at the message when we tell them about a free salvation. A salvation that does not involve works Many people, many scoff at it. Many people just don't believe it. A lot of people that we talk to, they're going to be polite when we go through the whole gospel. You know, they'll they're like, yeah, yeah, I believe that, I believe that. But, uh, but I, you know, say, would you like to call the Lord right now for salvation? Uh, no, no, I don't want to do that. And they're not going to tell us, I don't believe you. <clears throat> so it's like, well, why aren't they getting saved? They said they believe it. It's because they don't believe it. They're just, they're being polite. They, they don't believe it. If they believed it, they're going to call on the Lord for salvation. There's, there's no doubt about that. If people actually believed it, they would call on the Lord for salvation. They're not, they're not going to be ashamed. But then, they don't believe it. So, the rock of our salvation is Jesus Christ. 
We trust in His work. It's all over in the Bible. It's in the Old Testament and the New Testament. We're saved by believing on Him, by trusting in His work, not our own works. We're supposed to cease from our labors. We're supposed to enter into His rest. Yet somehow people still have a work salvation that they'll teach. We're supposed to sing about these things. And our songs, do the things that are mentioned in here that we're supposed to do, that we're supposed to sing about. We are doing these things. And these things help us. These things get this into our heart. And they make it a part of who we are. So it's just natural to us. So we'll, you know, we'll hear these things and we'll know that it's true. And we won't have doubt. But we, we need to make sure that we uh, get the word on this. That we spread this. That the rock of salvation is Jesus Christ. Meaning you better trust in Him. And people need to understand what they're really building their lives on. And it is. It's all other ground. It's sinking sand. And that's not what we want for ourselves. And so, thank God for His salvation. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank You so much for Your goodness to us. We thank You for sending Your Son to pay the ultimate price for our sins. And I pray, Lord, You'll help us as we, as a church as we continue to try to spread this message. Pray that uh, maybe some of the things in this message will help us uh, just understand Your love and Your salvation even more so we can um, explain it even more clearly to people as we present the Gospel. And I pray You'll just... Um, Lord, wake people up who are out there who are basing their salvation on their religious performance, helping to see that there's nothing they can do to save themselves, that they'll just trust in You for salvation. We just thank You for that free gift. In Your name we pray. Amen. Well, let's go ahead and stand.